0: Welcome to Calvary Church, where we are dedicated to loving God and loving people. If you want to know more about us, please check us out online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. I am happy to be here with you this morning. Uh, Today we're kicking off a brand new series that's going to take us through the month of of, of November, but more importantly, it's going to take us through the book of James. Uh, If you are not familiar with the book of James, then I strongly suggest you sitting down and reading it today. I'm not even joking. Read it today. Don't wait. It's short. It's only five chapters long, but more importantly, it's a very practical and very relevant book of the Bible, chock full of emphatic, clear, uh, motivating encouragement, and even instruction. And so it's a very relatable book for every single one of us. So sit down, read it in one go. Through the next few weeks, though, you're not going to want to miss a single Sunday at Calvary because James is probably most effective as a complete work. As we journey through this book of the Bible, we're going to see how James described to uh, a, a brand new church at the time how they should live. In this short book, there are several themes that we're going to go through through this series, and so I'll give you a sneak peek. Uh, today, perseverance uh, when facing trials, is we're going to spend some time talking about that today. Uh, throughout the month, we're going to hear things like the power that we have in the words we say, both positive words and negative words. We're going to hear about how to seek and possess wisdom, and also the, we're going to hear about the intertwining of faith prayer and our actions or works. And that's why you'll probably hear a few times through this series, through this month, that James is spelling out and he's teaching these new Christians to whom this letter is written, but also to each of us as followers of Jesus, how to not just talk the talk, but how to walk the walk as a Christian. I'm also honored to be sharing with you uh, specifically today, because today churches across Canada and the United States are collectively remembering the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Christian persecution is not a fun subject. It's not something we talk about often, but uh, you know I think it's something we should talk about at least more often. And so today we're going to pause to remember and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family as children of God who suffer because they believe what we believe. Four out of five Christians today live uh, in a place on the, on the planet where persecution exists. In fact, one out of every eight Christian, Christians faces extreme persecution where their livelihoods, their families, and oftentimes their own lives are at risk because of their faith. So we're going to spend a little time on that this morning. Uh, We're going to start this series with a little setup about the book of James by reading the first verse of the first chapter, and it goes like this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Kind of your classic beginning to any letter, although we would typically put the from James part at the end of the letter, but these old timers did things differently. But the name James is not an uncommon name even in the Bible, and even though this James doesn't identify himself as to which James he is, it's widely accepted, and in fact, most biblical scholars agree that this James is the brother of Jesus, or if you want to get technical, the half-brother of Jesus. I hear they had two different dads. Uh, You'll notice, though, that James doesn't say that he's the brother of Jesus in his own intro. I totally would. If that was me, if I wanted to be taken seriously or if I wanted a little more attention to be spent on this letter that I've written to everyone, I'd be all over that. I'd be Mr. Name Dropper. I'd be like, my name is James. James, the brother of Jesus, that James. Pay attention to me. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, hey, I'm James, a servant of Jesus. And not only does that display uh, some humility on the part of James, But it's actually a little more interesting that because we find out that James didn't even believe in Jesus as as the Savior while Jesus lived. There's actually evidence in Mark that James could have thought that Jesus was out of his mind. James became a believer in Jesus after Jesus' death and resurrection because he had a front row seat to the evidence. He saw Jesus' while he was alive. They grew up together at least in some form or another. He saw him die. He saw Jesus's uh, death and resurrection. And after witnessing all of that, James became one of the leaders at the church in Jerusalem. In fact, Peter even singled James out among the other Christians. And in Galatians, Paul calls James one of the pillars of the church. That's a pretty extreme about face on the part of James he went from I think he's out of his mind to I am a servant of Jesus and dedicated to his church it's huge the book of James does read a little bit like an Old Testament book dressed up in New Testament clothes and what I mean by that is it's really focused on practical action in our faith walk and and it encourages God's people to act like God's people It's filled with direct commands to pursue a a life of holiness. And you know, James really leaves very little wiggle room for those who don't measure up to that. So we've read his intro to the letter. Let's start the letter. Verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, here he goes. James kicks off with what I think is an intentionally shocking statement. He says, consider it joy whenever you face trials. In fact, he says, consider it pure joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't find it easy to connect the dots between joy and trials. I can think of numerous things in my life that I find joy in, but none of them include pain or suffering. None of them include loss or destruction or threat. And yet, James calls the early church to consider trials as joy. And also worth noting here at this point is that James doesn't say if you experience trials, but rather he says when you experience trials. Because for James, and actually for other authors of the Bible, it was a foregone conclusion that adversity or conflict or pain were just a part of Christianity. And 2 Timothy backs this up as do other scriptures, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be persecuted, but will be persecuted. It's It's a heavy thought. James does go on to articulate a little bit that we count our trials as joy not because we love being in pain, obviously, but because we trust that the testing of our faith is producing in us something of immeasurable value, something so valuable that every believer needs to experience it in one form or another. There are Huge variety of trials that believers around the world might experience in their lifetimes. And it differs. It differs from person to person or from church to church or from culture to culture. But trials are trials. And also could include things that affect everyone. Things like relational pain. We can all, you know, have memories of or have experienced relational pain. Or mental health issues for some of us. Physical disease or pain or injury or suffering financial loss for some of us all the way up to external Christian persecution and that list could go on and on we could get as specific as we want to In fact, there are people right now watching this message Maybe sitting in the room with you right now who are experiencing a deep testing of their faith Asking themselves questions or asking God questions like is God even real? Asking questions like, if God is so good, why does he allow evil? Or sometimes more personal, why won't he heal my fill-in-the-blank, my child, my spouse, my loved one? These are questions that we all ask at some point in our faith. But the big question isn't really, will I experience trials? The real question is, when will I experience trials? And then the trick is learning to trust God through the process. And as you know, that's called perseverance. I looked up perseverance in the dictionary. This is what Webster says, perseverance, or how he defines perseverance. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And for those of us who follow Jesus, what does achieving success even mean? Or uh, maybe said differently, what would it look like to live a successful life as a follower of Christ? Well, our friend James here gives some insight into this as well. Going now to the the next verse. Verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete Not lacking anything. So if we look at that, we find out that Webster and James are kind of in cahoots here. James says to let perseverance finish its work. Webster says that perseverance is persistence until achieving success. So in both cases, there has to be a completion. There's an end. Success in Christ means trusting Christ through the varied trials of life as he brings us to perfection and completion. Success for the believer is wholeness in Christ. And wholeness is found on the other side of suffering. And if we're being honest, there is something unique uh, about suffering, about pain or adversity that produces character. And I would go even further to say that it produces divine character in us. Throughout Scripture, we are given the hope to persevere, this is backed up again in Josh, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, our kids' ministry here at Calvary is called Big Time, and every single Sunday morning when we start our kids' service downstairs, we say, good morning, boys and girls, welcome to Big Time. The B-I-G in Big Time stands for believing in God, and if that's the case, when is it Big Time? And then in unison, all the kids and all the leaders shout back, it's Big Time all the time. And that's because, just as we read, God has commanded us to be strong and courageous because he is with us wherever we go. We believe in God and his faithfulness to be ever-present in our lives. Adversity calls us to go higher, to be greater, and to trust deeper. And as we learn over and over and over again to trust our Heavenly Father through any and every situation, our capacity to hope increases. Our capacity to be faithful increases. We learn to persevere because of the promise we have in Jesus. You know, as we read James, as we consider trial, the trials we face in our own lives, we would be remiss, especially today, to not think of Christians who face so much more uh, turmoil in their lives because of their faith. On this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, I would ask that we would all think of those who face these trials as a result of their Christian beliefs. Let's take a look at this short video. I figured out the other day that Calvary Church has been my home church for 28 years. For 16 of those years, I was, the, I was on staff as the children's pastor. Calvary continues to be my home church. But three years ago, I shifted gears a little bit. I stepped down from kids' ministry. I didn't step away from kids' ministry. I still volunteered down there every Sunday that I can. But I, but I did move into a new position, and that's the position of director for ICR Canada. ICR stands for International Christian Response, and We have over 200 projects in almost 50 countries around the world where Christians face extreme trials because of their faith. We exist to support our brothers and sisters in in the family of God who suffer, to equip Christian leaders, both men and women, who choose to stay in the country where others flee and where even still others advise them to also flee and most importantly everything we do aims at advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ where it's most difficult on the international day of prayer for the persecuted church more commonly referred to as idop idop maybe some of you are even familiar with that icr and other like-minded ministries partner together to encourage christians in canada to pray for our christian family in other parts of the world churches collectively choose to focus on it hopefully throughout the year but specifically on this day which is also why pastor steve has asked me to share today so i want to give you a glimpse uh, of the three countries that were mentioned in that video where christians face trials like james talked about so let's start with india india is now the world's most populous country i thought this was interesting it just overtook china this year India is a very culturally diverse country consisting of many languages and and many religions. And India's social, even political structures are basically determined by religion or by caste or by language. And despite India's increasing, you know, big picture global economy, most of the country's rural population still lives in, in poverty. Right now... There are about 69 million Christians living in India, but that is only 5% of the overall population. Indian believers who are there have this huge opportunity or responsibility maybe to share the gospel in some of the most restricted and unreached regions on the planet. One of the biggest uh, challenges for Christians in India is a group called RSS. RSS is an Indian right-wing Hindu organization that literally has informants living in almost every single village across the country. And they exist to report on the activities of Christians. These reports directly result in attacks and arrests of Christians. Churches have been demolished. Churches have been burned. Worship gatherings are are regularly disrupted or even stopped mid-service. Pastors get dragged out, beaten, thrown in jail. Bibles and Christian literature are often burned publicly. Even crosses in graveyards have been vandalized so that this message just continues to be sent that Christianity is not welcome. As individuals, Christians are often arrested, held for weeks at a time after being falsely accused of forcing Hindus to convert to Christianity. And I want to be very clear and emphasize this. These are false accusations. Christians are not forcing Hindus to convert to Christianity, but they're accused of it. With assistance, sometimes with ICR's assistance, they're usually able to post bail or to prove that the charges are unfounded. But it doesn't change the trauma that they've already experienced by being publicly dragged from their communities and thrown in jail. Sometimes the attacks in India do go do become, uh, you know, a larger, larger event. A few months back, two hundred ish Christians from seventy families were forced out of their homes in a region called Chhattisgarh. The Christians were corralled and given two options. You either give up your faith or you leave the village. The only choices they had. The Christians were, they tried to reason with their hostile neighbors. Neighbors, literally neighbors. You know, sometimes we wonder what's the big deal about love your neighbor or love your enemy. But sometimes your neighbor is your enemy. And these, these Christians tried to reason with their, with their hostile neighbors. And even though they tried that, the violence that followed left many of them injured and homeless. It was devastating. That is India. Pray for India. Pray for the believers in India. Let's take a look at Nigeria. Nigeria is the largest populated country in Africa, but it's sharply divided along religious lines, with the north uh, being Muslim-dominated and the south being a majority Christian area. There are more than 90 million professing Christians in Nigeria. And even though the Christian population looks huge, Nigeria is actually the most violent place to live as a Christian. Today, 14 Christians are killed every single day for the crime of just being a Christian in Nigeria. Foreign missionary activity Uh, in the north especially, has drastically declined over the past decade, mostly because of the Islamic group Boko Haram. And I'm not giving away any secrets here. Boko Haram regularly makes the news. Because of the increased and constant violence, nearly every single Christian, listen to this, nearly every single Christian in northeastern Nigeria has lost family members. Everyone has lost someone. Someone. Because of the violence. Many have been forced to leave their livelihood, which as a result, as you can imagine, leaves many Christians living in poverty on the edge of starvation. Many pastors who've been forced out of the region has left congregations just completely displaced. It takes such courage uh, and faith to, to openly worship in Nigeria because of the hatred towards Christians. Christians. They literally risk their lives every time they even attempt to gather to pray or to worship. Thousands of Christians remain even today in camps designated for internally uh, displaced people. Life for Christians is a constant struggle in Nigeria. Hanatu Garba Hanatu Garbe is the name of a girl from the Borno State in in Nigeria. Her village was attacked by Boko Haram in 2015. And I'm going back that far to tell a story. Hanatu, her mother, and uh, six of her siblings were walking to church with friends on the day that her village was attacked. The way she describes it is that they stopped in their tracks when they heard a bomb explode up ahead on the road. But within seconds, there was machine gun fire right where they were. And when the gunfire stopped and they looked around, there were bodies strewn about on the ground everywhere. Some were Hanatu's siblings. The the survivors of that day, including Hanatu, including her obviously grieving parents, left the village to stay at one of those camps for displaced people. And after some time, even the camp became unsafe for the Christians. In 2016... The outcry of widows, the outcry of other relatives of missing children was heard. And thankfully, Christian faith ministry workers were able to bring 80 child survivors out of there and and bring them to a crisis care home where they could be provided safety and care and education. And I tell you all that because Hanatu, who was nine at the time of that attack, who had never attended school previously, couldn't read or write at the time, When she got to the crisis care home, she received an education. And today, this once illiterate, traumatized nine-year-old girl is now a teenager with three years left in school and speaks three languages fluently because of the care that came from that. Not all stories turn around like this, but I'm so happy when I do get to share one with a happy ending. Pray for the believers in Nigeria. Pray for the children. Of these christian families who suffer sometimes the worst and lastly nicaragua was mentioned in that video nicaragua is actually not a country you regularly hear when you talk about persecution in fact 2023 is the first time that nicaragua has ever appeared on the open doors world watch list for the top 50 worst countries for christian persecution Nicaragua actually has a large Christian influence. Probably around 95% of the population identify as Christian. So why are we bringing up Nicaraguans? Where is the persecution even coming from? Well, Nicaraguan Christians are persecuted by their government. There's a history to this, of course, but the government persecution kind of was spurred on in 2018. When widespread protests broke out against the country's government, the churches stepped up to provide shelter and to provide care for people during that time, whether it was uh, the injured or the needy. And even though that was several years ago, the government continues to retaliate against Christians specifically. The government targets the church, mainly by arresting pastors, by, uh, by summoning church leaders, uh, by preventing churches from gathering publicly at all. The authorities have really cracked down on the Christian church. They've banned any processions in the street that happen to be uh, religious. They prevent church leaders from holding services. They summon them for questioning regularly just to keep them busy and nervous and, and living in fear. Currently in Nicaragua, this the church, the Christian church Uh, big picture, still under siege regardless of this huge Christian population. President Ortega, who has been in power there since 07, if I'm not mistaken, has declared war on anyone opposing his government, including clergy members, including religious leaders, or anyone that dares to speak up and criticize him. Today, Christian pastors and missionaries and entire congregations live in fear of harassment and persecution. When we asked um, how they're doing, how they're getting through all this, one of our Christian partners in Nicaragua said this, we believe prayer has helped us endure this persecution. Which brings us all the way back to what this day is about, it's prayer. So often we can't see past our front yards when it comes to our concerns or how we pray for, what we pray for idop sunday the international day of prayer for the persecuted church this is not a fundraising event this is a prayer raising event today you've seen um, or heard a few ways to pray for christians who are persecuted at least in the three countries we've mentioned and we talked about earlier that perseverance has a conclusion It, it has a success story well a little further let's jump back into james A little further along in James, still in the first chapter, James, he tells us a little bit about what is on the other side of trials through perseverance. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, the crown of life is obviously not an actual ornamental hat but a symbolic representation of God's recognition of having spiritually triumphed in this life. The crown of life is God's reward for those who love him and loyally persevere under trial. It doesn't signify any royal position or authority over others but it is indicative of everlasting joy in the life to come. As we face trials of our own, we can endure them for God's glory, trusting that they will bring us spiritual fulfillment, trusting that they will demonstrate our love for God. Christians of every age have faced suffering and persecution, but it's never been without the promise of an eternal reward. While trials and tests are always going to be frightening, or at least unpleasant as we go through them. James reminds us, and in fact Jesus guarantees in other scriptures, that they will result in a worthy prize, the crown of life found in eternity. So lastly, in the 22nd verse of the same first chapter of James, we read this. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. I hope and trust that today wasn't just a day where you heard some scripture. It wasn't just a day that you absorbed some information about regions around the world. I truly hope you will dedicate yourself to prayer for our fellow Christians who suffer for their faith. You know, if if you do a Google search about James, the author of James, you might come across his nickname. Um, you know, if you know somebody named James, you wouldn't be surprised to find out that his nickname is Jamie or Jim or Vince. But actually, this James, his nickname, are you ready for this, is Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. You don't have to Google too far to find out that he's had this nickname for a long time. This nickname was given to him outside of, of scriptures, but it goes back to ancient church historians as far back as the year two, uh, 260 A.D. It said that James spent so much time on his knees in prayer that his knees looked like the knees of a camel. Well, I want to encourage you to remember to pray for those persecuted. If you're a follower of Jesus, and this is our family. We are one body. Pray for them. And if you do it so much that your knees become as callous as James or as knobby as a camel, fine, I'll promise not to give you the same nickname James has. But before we go, let's right now pray for our family of God as they suffer in various places. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to you freely. We thank you for the freedom we have where we are to openly worship, to gather together as followers of Jesus, to lift your name up with loud voices without the fear of persecution. And right now, We think of fellow believers around the world, not just in the three countries that we've talked about today, but anyone who suffers for your name's sake, God, we lift them up. We want them to feel the peace uh, beyond understanding that only the Holy Spirit can give them, that they would be assured by Scripture, by our prayers, that there is something on the other side. God, we thank you for your big plan in all of our lives, but we lift them up, protect them provide uh, peace for them. And God, we pray that in all of this, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.